Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. Hello, I'm Catherine. We are delighted to share our guest with you today, Carla Klinger. Carla is a a poet, a potter, an educator, a wife, mother, grandmother. She is now 85 years old and has a remarkable life story to share. And we know that we could speak with her for, for hours on end. But today <laughs> we want to kind of focus our conversation around a few key, key themes. One having to do with Carla's interest and reflections about aging and the aging process. And, and that has also been the subject of some of her recent poetry. And we would like to talk with you, Carla, about the, the transition of moving from your, as you refer to it as your home on the prairie in the Morris, Minnesota, where you lived for, I think, 59 years or more, and to a retirement community in Portland, Oregon. And we would like to talk with you about the continuing work uh, joy that you've received from doing your pottery and your uh, writing and, and poetry work. So that, that's the territory that we want to cover with you today. And so if we could start with having you talk a bit about when did you begin to get interested in this whole notion of aging and the aging process and in particular, what's it like for women? Perfect. And thank you for inviting me to to talk about these things. As I think I said to you, Catherine, we could talk. I've got five hours worth of stuff that I want to share. And you said, what? We've known each other 45 years and that's all you have. That's right. <laughs> I love that. I think I started to be curious about aging around the age of 50 when I noticed change in other people's response to me. And I started to notice the physically changing. But then, especially when I got in, into or reached my 70s, as my mother was also fading, I was really curious, you know, what are the 70s going to be like? And how can I find out about this? I did read some books, but there weren't enough to satisfy my curiosity. So I had learned in my early 20s and then research with you, Catherine, in, in the 1970s, that if there's something that I wanted to know, the best thing to do would be the people who might have talk to the people who might have the answers. So I wanted to talk with women in their 70s to learn more about what to expect. Um, I've always been interested in gathering data from the bottom up rather from top down and really interacting with people who might know. So there was a process that I went through to develop what eventually became the research project you and I did together called Perspectives from Vital Women in Their 70s. First, I accepted an invitation from the campus to participate in a UMM course on life reflections, which was intergenerational, and did a tiny little project with the help of some students about aging of women, interviewing three women. I wanted to know more, but I also needed some help. 
Um, so you and I had worked together earlier to explore why some people go to school and some don't, even though they all want to. And that used the same qualitative process and structured interviewed, and that seemed just right. Plus, you seemed the right person to work with because you knew the process, you had the background in literature and aging, you knew the qualitative method. Um, we worked well together. So I, I asked, and you said yes. <laughs> and you know, Carla, I was, so Carla is, uh, you're 15 years older than I am. So I have to confess that when you asked me to join you in this project, I was intrigued and I thought, well, this will be a nice intellectual exercise. But, you know, as the years have progressed, <laughs> uh, I am now 70. And I do want to thank you for actually forging the path for me to, to really get it much more involved in this whole area of aging. So thank you. Yeah, but I couldn't have forged the path if you hadn't traveled it with me. So I thank you. Anyway, what we did is we decided we wanted to talk with vital women. And we were, I was living in Minnesota. We thought we'd go for women between 70 and 80 who were either self-defined or identified by others as being vital. We wanted since I lived in Minnesota, would be interviewing Minnesota. We wanted them to have some connection with Minnesota and some post-secondary education. So this was a select group of 15 women. And they were defined sort of through a network of friends and book clubs and so forth and college classmates. I think first, Catherine, I must have sent you like five or six little dissy very wide open questions. And you <laughs> you probably complimented me on them, but we ended up with 30 probe questions. And uh, I really hadn't covered the territory at all. We looked at their living situations, how they spent their time, how age had affected them spiritually, physically, and mentally, how they coped, with positive and negative changes and what they were looking forward to. And what we found, you can chip in on this one if you want to, they were vitally engaged, and that meant families, churches, communities, their own special interests. They really appreciated the fact, and you're getting there now too, where you can act from choice rather than obligation. Mm -hmm because they defined their time and how they would spend it. One of the surprising things to me was that they were dealing with so much stuff. I mean, one husband had Alzheimer's. There were people with lingering illnesses who needed a lot of nurturing, there were people with disabilities, problems with children. And what so impressed me was that they really coped well with this. It wasn't going to get them down. So even though they had everything hitting them. It was as if it wasn't all hitting them. Um, and they also, they weren't going to let health problems, which some of them had considerably, get it mixed up in their lives either. But um, I, I, at the end, we had such wonderful quotes. These women that we expected to be reticent or shy were actually <laughs> extremely verbal and gutsy. And I thought I'd give you a flavor by just reading it. One of the um, points was how they felt uh, about their body. 
And that's, of course, what started me on the aging, just noticing all those little changes. Here's one. Whoever said, grow old with me, the best is yet to be, is a big, fat liar. (laughs) (laughs) I've always expected a lot from my body. I've lowered my expectations. (laughs) I've never been in this country before. I don't like the landscape very much. (laughs) Or our bodies are wearing out. So the best you can do is figure out how to have a truce. <laughs> have a truce. That's so true. I remember someone saying that, you know, what really matters is having a body that works. That's it. That's and I'd it. rather lose my looks than my mind. Yes. Absolutely. And then the other thing is about death and dying. Mm-hmm. Um, I think as a group, they all accepted that they were going to die but it was the how of things Mm -hmm. and the disintegration or dementia or being incapacitated that really bothered them. Here are a couple of quotes. You can have everything perfect and then have a bad health issue and it's all shot to hell. Mm -hmm. Why can't we just get old and die instead of going through the disintegration? It just teased me off that this is the plan. (laughs) 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 Or, The scary part is the pain that some people have to go through and the dementia. I think Catherine and I were both, you can tell the story of how it is that we asked some sex questions, Catherine. Well, right. So we had several drafts of the interview guide, and I had brought it to a friend who's a Jungian therapist for her feedback. And she said, well, these are great questions, but why aren't you asking anything about their sexual lives? It was, oh, well gee, why aren't we? (laughs) We weren't because of Minnesota reticence. We just didn't expect anybody would want to talk about it with us. Mm -hmm. And we were wrong, weren't we? We were wrong. And so some quotes on intimacy. Being close to my husband is important, even if it doesn't lead to intercourse. Having sex like we did 20 years ago is not going to happen. You can masturbate. Well, that's the one that knocked our socks off. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Minnesota women masturbate? (laughs) And then uh, some of the women who were widowed, I would like to meet a person I cared enough about to be sexually active, but the chances of that are pretty slim. So the honesty is just Mm -hmm. uh, wrenching. I put together then a, a little packet of all the quotes in and titled them differently. And we did a, a follow-up five years later, have to think about what, whether we want to do another one. Between the two five-year periods, one person had died of cancer, one person decided she didn't want to be in it, and one of them who feared Alzheimer's because her mother died from Alzheimer's indeed got Alzheimer's. Mm. And, uh, of course, husbands had died. We found that in the... People between 70 and 80, although they had these problems, they seemed to be able to surmount them. And five years later, they had more physical problems, you know, more forgetting. Family became increasingly important. So they continued their engagement, but it's just a reduced level. 
And I, I think I remember that in the women in, in their 70s, vital women in their 70s, there's a great deal of movement, a, a lot of activity um, and independence. And as you said earlier, pursuing the what they were most interested in. And the movement as women got into their 80s, I'm moving to live closer to my children. I'm moving into uh, a different living situation. So a very different kind of, of movement that has kind of struck me. And I actually want to, in the interest of time, move into your experience of living in Morris, Minnesota, your little town on the prairie, for what, 59 plus years? From 1962 to 2016. 2016. And then moving into a retirement community in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. 2016. What what were you imagining that experience would be like? What what has it actually been like? Uh, I what, kept I kept thinking that we would retire earlier, like in our mid sixties, and that we would be off somewhere to find another life. But that was not the way it went. Eric couldn't imagine. My husband couldn't imagine retiring. So I kept on at least part time till I was seventy one, and he went full time till he just turned seventy three. So. Um, at that time, we weren't ready to move any place. I, I had thought we would, but we decided not to. And finally, it was time we were 82 and 83. Minnesota's winters, which can last from October into <laughs> April, became more difficult. Mm-hmm. Our kids were concerned about us. They One lives on the East Coast and two on the West Coast. Our friends were ill or dying or moved away. And we thought the important thing is the choice. We wanted the choice to go, not to be in a situation where we had to go and people had to come to move us. Mm-hmm. So we started to think about what did we want. Well, my mom had been in a home that my father founded, and it had three levels of care, independent living, assisted living, and full-time care. So we had learned through my mother's experience that that's what we wanted. And of course, in a place that we liked. So we went off on our vacations to explore places we liked, forgetting that it had to be someplace where our kids could get to us. (laughs) Uh, Asheville, North Carolina didn't turn out to be that. No, Mountain View, California was too far away. Uh, Ashland, Oregon, where they had the Shakespeare Festival, which we would have loved, was you know, you had to take a plane to get there from Mm -hmm. Portland. So they weren't accessible to our kids. And that became a very important criterion. So Heather had lived, our daughter Heather had lived in Portland since the 80s, and we've been visiting regularly. Our son Benjamin moved to the Seattle area. So we had two kids on the West Coast. So we decided that we would check out Portland. And we, of course, we checked out all the there's a process you go through. What is important to you? You know, for me, blue sky was important. And Portland's noted for its rain. <laughs> and uh, so we went through all of this sort of stuff, and we looked at places we could live. We found one we lived. But before we moved to Portland, I wanted to try it out, which we did. And I wanted to be sure that I could continue working with clay. You know, poetry travels anywhere. Writing travels anywhere. But working with clay, I had my own workshop, my own wheel, my own kill. I wanted, if I moved here and had to give it up, I wanted it to be my choice, and I hoped it wouldn't be my choice. 
So that's what went on before we moved. I would skip the moving part. It is horrendous. We had a two and a half story house. We had lived in it all those years. We both save every paper that has ever come by us. We had books before. Um, I would say the advice for that is get help. Uh-huh. <laughs> and let you figure that one out. Okay. Then upon arrival, we, we had checked out all the different places in Portland that we thought we would like to live in. And, and we chose one, the Holiday Park Plaza. Really the, you walk in the door and the feeling of the place is wonderful. It's a community of, of bright, eager people who want to have an age that is filled with some meaning. And so I'll spare you all the moving and the getting here and the figuring out all of that stuff, except to say we have an apartment that faces over the garden and the walls are glass. And mm. so I'm looking into the bower of what has been identified as a sycamore tree, but it's not. So it's my not sycamore tree. <laughs> just, just live there. Um, the pottery has worked out really well because before I came, I negotiated for a place to put my extruder where you can make hollow objects and the woodworking shop was interested in having other people use it in other ways and they gave me a significant space that I could put all my pottery stuff like the glazes and the clay and so forth and so by the next spring we moved in in the end of September by the next spring I was leading a hand building class mm-hmm. And since I was a wheel worker and hadn't done so much hand building, I learned a lot about hand building, and I still am. I wanted to take wheel courses, and I had identified where I could do that. But getting on the lists, which is so popular, takes a little knowing. And finally, after about a year and a half, I I learned how to do it, and I have now started taking wheel classes and and reclaiming that skill. We um, have a community where there are lots of opportunities. So I started, I think, the third day I was here with Tai Chi. That that course was to move gracefully and get your everything moving. Mm-hmm. I signed up for, there are lots of physical opportunities. So I signed up for um, circuit training and balance. I've joined a nonfiction book club because I always read fiction and thought maybe I should read a little bit of nonfiction. Active in citizens groups, we are, we've been floor reps, we're on committees. It sounds like we're terribly scheduled with responsibilities and we're not. We don't want to be the leaders or the chairs of committees anymore. Mm-hmm. And they're done that. You mm-hmm. certainly have been there and done that. Yeah, I, I don't think people would know either that I'd ever been an administrator, you know. <laughs> Long time advisor, academic advisor to adult learners, administrator. Building programs everywhere. Yeah. Pioneering in lots of different areas of, of innovative education. Right. They wouldn't know that about you. Huh? No. They wouldn't, and they won't. They, but they would. But they. I have a collection of a group of peop, groupies who like my poetry, mm. and the people who are doing pottery are so grateful to be able to to try this out. Mm. So that feels wonderful. 
Carla, may I ask you a question? Are you, uh, so it sounds to me as though you are very satisfied with your choice and your activities that you're doing. And does it fill you both mentally and spiritually to be doing this kind of work now? Or do you long for another day? No. When I was teaching this last, uh, leading this last workshop in in pottery, there were these moments where I just, there were only four people, but I could respond to them individually and be helpful. And I just paused and I thought, this is, you know, this is where I belong. This feels right. This is good. Mm-hmm. And the poetry, I'm actually able to do more of it. Um, I really didn't do a lot of writing until my kids were gone, which was in the late 1980s. And then now and then I, I would go to workshops for a period of time or go to classes. But here we have a poetry group that has been meeting every other week. And we get suggestions. I'm, I'm learning to write things that I would never write otherwise, like certain kinds of forms or certain kinds of topics. I have um, two poems I'd like to share with you if we have time for that. One is a little bit about the transition itself and only a portion from it. And it's the title you will probably recognize is... It's, uh, composing uh, her new life. Mm -hmm. So I go through where I came from and my marriage and all the things that were expected and unexpected. And I say, she is slightly sad to never again help adults fit college into their lives. She wants to make a difference. In her retirement community, she composes her new life from dinners and reading, news and exercise She enjoys sharing the sensual pleasure of play with others. Words will always matter. Finding, holding, arranging them to explore and express what's going on inside. She is still a searcher, student, teacher, an elder who loves tuna sandwiches, who observes from the bower of her sycamore tree, awed by a complex universe, ecstatic about burgeoning flowers that's it wow. <laughs> that's so wonderful i mean i've never heard your work before and i i you know where is it can we get some of it can we do we get to see all of your your clay work do how or is it <laughs> just personal to you no i'd be happy to figure out some way to do that gail yes i'd love uh, Catherine has some of my poems on aging and, and mm-hmm. certainly may share those. You wanted me, we have just a few minutes. Yes. Mm-hmm. You wanted me to read about a, an insight that I've just had lately. Yes. I mean, the thing is, I'm learning about pottery. I'm learning about new things in poetry. I'm discovering new things about myself. For example, I've discovered that being old is different from growing old. Mm. And, and I am old, so that's leading to new insights. Well, here's the one that um, on my 85th birthday, I woke up and I had this awful realization that I'm five years from 90. (laughs) Time is limited, right? Mm -hmm. And so all through the day, I was impressed with that. And, And I talked to my husband about it, and 
He felt the same way. He understood completely. And then the next day, I woke up and I was happy. I was happy to be alive, to have these extra years that our predecessors didn't have, mm-hmm. and to have these wonderful opportunities. So this is, this is what I wrote. It's called This Particular Dot in Time. Life unfolds. A thousand transitions, talents waxing and waning, experiences expanding, beliefs evolving. I am a part of all that I have met. More than a layering of selves or a set of nesting dolls, each containing the one before, I am a collage of selves stitched together, a kaleidoscope of moving, shifting colors. Name a period in human history when white women had more rights, were more able to stand independently before the law, could be in charge of their maternity. Children of the greatest generation, life spans the longest, freedom and opportunity the most abundant for many in our country, for me. I am a museum of memories of myriad images a spectrum of emotions, cares, and commitments, living longer than Elizabeth I or my father, twice as long as Jane Austen, 10 years less than mother. I gave birth to three children, affected lives, strove creatively, corrected some mistakes. Most importantly, I always tried. It's almost done. I wake into now my life narrowing, grateful for another day. I send my thanks to the universe for allowing me to inhabit this particular dot in time. So beautiful. So beautiful. Just <laughs> you just capture it so well. Oh my goodness. So I'm tearing up, so it's kind of hard to uh, uh. <laughs> um when you sent that poem to me a, a week or so ago, I, I just kept reading it over and over. And I, I'm, thank you so much for sharing it. I, I know. <laughs> our, I, um, it's wonderful to write something and have anybody care. So, <laughs> we thank you for caring. We yeah. do care. Yes. I wish, see, now we could talk for five hours at least. Yep, sure. um, and, and this may, let's just consider this to be your first conversation with us. <laughs> We may ask you to to come back again. Is there anything, Carla, that you would like to to say that we haven't at least touched on right now? Mm -hmm. And if it's okay to say, no, I'm I'm stopping with my poem. That was, you know, that's a... I'm I'm happy with our discussion and appreciate having a chance to share all this. Well, we thank you so much. And... um, I love you, and I know our listeners will love you, too. And I love you already. <laughs> wow, wow. Reciprocated, of course. <laughs> Thank you very All right. much, Carla. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.